Thanks for joining us today on the Port City Church Podcast. With multiple campuses existing within Southeastern North Carolina, our mission is to be helpful and hopeful as we reach people and help them walk with God. To learn more about the heart behind our church, we encourage you to visit us at portcity.church. Good morning. It's a great day already, isn't it? It's great to see everyone here. Great to welcome our campuses in Newburn and Leland. Thank you guys all uh, for joining together today. And we've been um, really talking about this over the last uh, really six weeks, talking about our reach and how reach isn't just about a church getting bigger or our church getting bigger, but rather reach is about what we are willing to care about. It sort of measures what we're willing to extend ourselves for. And we've been talking about this idea of the culture um, that we want to become. Talking about these sort of three cans that I opened up uh, six weeks ago. And uh, one is the can of goodness. Like, could we be a place where people experience something distinctly whole or pure? Um, could we be a place where there's a sense of care, where people came in and they sensed that they could be cared for in a way that mattered, that was meaningful because of a culture, something that was happening in us? And then this one we've been in the last three weeks is the idea of connection. What would it be like if we could learn how to connect with one another in ways that actually caused us to become what God envisions us, what he intends for us to become together? And we've been talking about this idea of connection. We're using this definition that connection is, and it's not just a, there's lots of ways to connect, but we're talking about specifically, connection is to exchange life with one another as we trust each other enough to live safely within the care of our community. That to uh, connect is for one person to offer themselves to another person and for each to be able to trust each other enough that we can live safely within the care of our community, of who we are becoming as a people. And we're gonna talk more about this idea of living safely, but what I mean by living safely is not what most people think about living safely because most of us in our culture, um, to live safely really means that we are never threatened, that we eliminate risk. To live safely means there's no risk of harm, there's no risk of hurt, there's no risk of offense that we have sort of mistakenly equated safety with comfort. And what I'm talking about is exactly the opposite. I'm talking about a way for us to learn how to relate to one another that's gonna require something from us. It's gonna require us to risk trusting each other. It's gonna require us to risk rolling our sleeves up and experiencing one another's brokenness and hurt and heartache in ways that are redemptive and healing and hopeful. But make no mistake about it, it is not safe in the way that you think of safety, but it is something that we need. We need to learn how to trust enough that we can live safe within the care of another, of a community of people. And my premise has been that this idea has to do with what it is that forms or shapes the thing that we belong to, our sense of belonging. And we've coupled it with the idea of who we are becoming. We've used these sort of ideas to, over the last couple of weeks. I want to address these two specifically today. A lot of us, when we think about this, that we're going to look in the book of Galatians. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Galatians. This is one of Paul's letters. Um, it's actually a right past Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, and then you have Galatians. So it's right there in the, the New Testament. It's on... Um, uh, let's see, page 1,000. I'm just kidding, in my Bible. That probably won't be in yours. 
Or you can just look it up on your phone. It's easier to find that way. When we think about this idea that, that my premise and what I'm learning is that we need, we need to, this idea of, of how we belong to one another is for us to learn how to, to connect. We said this, and let me back up, that the, the strength of these connections or the, the source of these connections determines the strength and the depth of our relationship. And part of what we are, we, what we, the, the big idea I've been thinking about is that we, we have been in, created to belong in such a way. We've been created to belong um, in such a way that we will only become who we are created to be within the context of that belonging. So the hope in this idea, the hope in this series as we wrap this up today, is that the hope of our connection is that we can be safe enough to be who we are, to come just like you are, but also to become the way you are to be, to become who you're created to be. And it all hinges on our sort of sense of belonging. When we think every, every source of connection or every connection has a source or something at its foundation, something that serves to say, this is what forges our belonging. And whatever we put here is gonna be the foundation of the reason that people come together or how people come together. And more important, perhaps equally importantly, is how people are not allowed to come together in our culture. There's just constant division over this, what we belong around, the source of our belonging. What we have to do and what, we're, what I'm, I'm asking us to learn how to do and what I'm encouraging each of us to have in our lives is you have to have trusted formative connections that don't just affirm you, but that actually shape you, that form you, that actually cause you to become, that actually push on you. It's not enough to be affirmed. There has to be something else in, in play. Um, a lot of people come to the church, and we talk about this, we're talking about life exchange. A lot of people come to the church to get their lives changed. You think it's sort of an individual approach. Um, a pastor who's written several books, she wrote this, Patricia Harrison Warren just read this this week. She said, there's a presumption of that the church is about my individual spiritual experience or encounter. There's a presumption that you come here just to get whatever need you have met to encounter Jesus in some way, to encounter God, to get your beliefs sort of shaped or helped or affirmed or whatever it is, that is simply not what the church is. Simply not what the church is. One of the things that has happened to me over the last, really last two and a half, three years, as I've sort of been a part of this, my optimism and, and for the church is only growing. And you're, you're aware, a lot of the narrative around the church, and especially if you follow most anything religion or church-related online, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, there's a massive movement of deconstruction, deconstructing our faith to the point that we sort of walk away from the church. And there's a lot of, you know, around church hurt, just a lot of conversation on this, and I totally get it. I'm not diminishing it in any way. What I am saying is I've come to understand more and more and more about what the church, what the church could be, what we could be, what God actually intends for us. I'm becoming more and more and more and more optimistic about the future for our church. That the church is actually for us, and I'm not talking about our programs or our strategies, I'm talking about us living as a people under the rule of God's love, a willing to give our allegiance to Jesus as our King, that people who gather around that, that church, that gathering, that sense of belonging is the hope of the world. It's not gonna be found anywhere else, but we've gotta figure out ways. We've gotta 
figure out ways to trust. We gotta figure out ways where we can be challenged so that we can be shaped and not just sort of fall prey to try to find people and things and organizations that will just repeat and affirm what we already think or believe and sort of that confirmation bias idea. She goes on and says this, Tish, Tish Harrison Warren. You can't make relationships flourish, but I think you can create a culture where that is actually happening. I think this is why the gospel matters so much. It gives us a source that allows us, right, to belong, but more importantly, allows us to, to become. So Paul's beef, when you read Galatians, I, I, I tried to find, I had this whole message written around another uh, passage in the scripture that was very like, it was, it was, it's a great passage, but it's like, love God more deeply, love others more deeply. I was like, oh, that's what we're gonna do today. And then I just kept reading and I kept reading. And then this passage in Galatians, and Galatians is a little bit of an elbow drop. Paul is not playing games with these guys. Basically what has happened is Paul, um, so Simon Peter, who you know who he is, this guy who, one of Jesus' followers, he preached at Pentecost. Uh, Pentecost and so this whole movement's happening. He was a, a, Paul was a, a, Peter was a Jewish person, but he's also uh, been involved with this work outside of the people who already think this particular way. And so he's there with the Gentiles and he's eating with them and God's done a work in him. This is all found in Acts. And he's like hanging out with them and everything is cool. And then some other guys from this other place come and he starts to distance himself because he doesn't want to disappoint, disappoint these people. They're going to be offended if he's with these people. So he sort of pulls away. Well, now you can imagine what happens. They're like, what's wrong with us? Why are, you know? And so there's just this, this whole middle space. He's trying to please everybody and making sure that he doesn't draw too many lines. But he doesn't want to be associated with them because of what they'll think. He doesn't want to be associated with them because of what they'll think. So he's playing all this middle space and trying to be cool. Well, Paul just comes in and says, you're an idiot, you can't do that. That's my translation, but it's pretty close to that. And he goes on, he basically sort of lets them have, lets Peter have it in front of this group in this letter. And then he turns his attention to the Galatians. And this is the tone of what he writes, starting in verse one. You foolish Galatians. Now, I don't know if you ever got a letter that was just introduced. You foolish person, right? That's a pretty powerful uh, Pretty good way to get your attention. You foolish Galatians, who bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing. And he's being a little bit snarky here in case you can't tell. He says, I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of law? Right? Did you come into a relationship with Christ because of what you have done? That's what he's asking them. Or was it something else? Right? Was it faith? Did you, did you get this thing? Did you come to Christ by works of law, or by believing what you had heard, by trusting the message that was brought to you. And then he goes on, it's rhetorical, right? That's what we're talking about. He goes on, he says, are you so foolish then? After beginning by means of the Spirit, you now you can think that you can finish this by your own efforts, by means of your own flesh. And now this isn't unique to the Galatians. This is what most of us, if we're honest, struggle with. We feel like God has done something for us on the cross. We've received him into our lives. We trust him. And then you think that your formation, your shaping is up to your willpower and your strength and for you to become the way you're supposed to be. If you'll just do better, try harder, believe the right things, do the right things, then this will all happen. And he's like, oh, no, no, the way you began this is the same way you continue this. If you were dependent on the Holy Spirit, on God's presence, on his power and strength in you to bring you into a relationship, what you need to assume is that you're gonna be dependent on his power and strength and intimacy in you to continue you in that relationship, to form you into his image. 
And this is what we're talking about. This is sort of my premise as I think about this in terms of the relationship of what the church means and what we are intended to be as human beings. This is kind of a big statement. I was actually going back through some of my notes and this is something I wrote down years ago, but I just want to put it back up there. I think this is important for how we think about this. That God's love, the source, the source for your life and my life and for us as a community, as a people, as a church, God's love is not only fully sufficient for human relationships, but it is the only foundation sufficient for the fullness of human expression. The thing that you and I long for is only found when it is sourced by God's love. But there's a massive problem that we face um, in our culture. What a lot of us end up happening, and there's, there's so many things that get, in the, that get in this blank. We all end up belonging to things with a foundation that has to do with what we believe about an issue, what we think about this, whatever we gather around. And what a lot of us end up thinking is that if I, in order to belong to this, I have to become this particular way. And the way you do this in your own strength, right? You can either become that kind of person, but if you can't, you project the image of that kind of person. You say the right things, you hang out in the right places, you, you, you project the right image. And then if you project the right image, then you will fully belong to whatever it is, this place that you are going. When this happens, when you begin to sort of protect, have to project an image and have to say, I only belong because of who they think that I am. In any place that you aren't exactly the way you're supposed to be, you're going to have to hide. You're gonna to have to protect yourself from anybody ever knowing because if you, they find this out, you will no longer belong. And what I, what I'm, what I think has to happen, we have to reverse this order. And the problem is our, our culture is just unfriendly because the source of our connections is rarely anything life-giving. It's usually something that preserves a way of life that keeps you the way that you are. It keeps you the way that you are. We end up living in this sort of affirmation culture where everything has to be affirmed. Everything has to be like, whatever you present has to just nod your head and say yes. That we, we have this idea that we being accepted is the highest value of the human experience. And please don't get me wrong. To be accepted is incredibly important. And what I would tell you, no matter what you believe, no matter where you are, no matter what you have done or what you are doing, no matter what you think needs to change or maybe what you think doesn't need to change, wherever you might be, you need to understand that you are accepted here. We will extend ourselves to you. We will bend over, but we will do anything we can to help you. But you need to understand that acceptance is the beginning point. It is only the beginning point. The highest value of, not a, of a relationship is not just to be accepted, to be tolerated, to be put up with. But at some measure, we have to become, we have to be in these places where we can actually become the kind of people we were being called and created to be. And the reason I think this is so important because a lot of us, we start here, try to figure out what we need to become in order to belong. And what I think the gospel does for us, what I think Jesus is inviting us into, what I think the church does, is it says we need to learn how to belong in such a way that we become who it is that we are created to become. Paul talks about this, right? He continues writing on. He's talking about this as these, these dividing lines, these things that keep us separated have got to be broken down. And he says this. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. 
Then he gives us a list. There's neither Jew nor Gentile nor slave nor free, nor there is that nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ. You're all one in Christ. Here's this idea again of this idea of oneness. You're one in Christ. And what Paul is concerned about, you're gonna see this in just a moment. He's concerned about who we become because of this. There simply is no oneness without wholeness. I wanna make it really clear. This isn't about demolishing other identities or things that we have. It's It's demolishing the things that delineate us, that keep us from treating people the way they ought to be treated. When he's using these particular um, ideas of slave or free, male or female, as the normal dividing lines of how people divvy themselves up to project who is more important than someone else. So what I want for us to become is a way, I want us to learn how to connect, to belong in such a way that you and I can become who we've been created to be. I want us to read this together. What would it feel like What would it feel like for you to be yourself as God has fashioned you and to be fully accepted? Now, I wanna make an assumption here because all of us have the capacity to play games with God. You know this, right? You know there are things about you that you've just sort of sworn, well, that's just the way I am, even though you know in your heart of hearts that's not who you're supposed to be. That's just your defense mechanism to protect yourself from having anything shape or change or push on you. But imagine what it would feel like to be yourself, to really be yourself as God has fashioned you and to fully be accepted for you to become that. What if even with the disordered parts of ourselves, we were embraced by a Christ-ordered family? As we are learning what it is like to be fully known by God and fully loved by Him, What if we could be fully known and fully loved by the church too? I imagine this would be deeply healing. I imagine it would be attractive to people outside the church who feel lonely and isolated and rejected and bullied, dehumanized, objectified, and canceled. Wholeness is a revelation of God to the world. Oneness is a miracle unattainable within the world system in any sustainable way. What happens to us, especially those of us who end up in the church, this is also true of politics. It's true of almost any social issue. What happens to us is we come into a place and we find out what it is that we agree on And then we connect around those things. And you can fill in the blank with whatever you think would be something that's worthy of belonging as a part of. It can be your political party. It can be some kind of organization that you have. It can be some kind of career path you have. It can be whatever it is. Whatever it is you connect on is gonna be the foundation of your belonging. It's gonna determine the strength and the depth of the relationships that you experience. And what happens is we we a lot of times come in and we exchange these ideas and we get to believe them, but we don't actually believe them. We just agree with them. We agree with them. We sort of have this place where we go, here's our position on these things. And depending on your uh, competency or your wealth or your capacity to create a life for yourselves, you can actually build a life or an organization around these issues. And then you can actually 
get God, right? You can recreate God into your image to agree with and to participate with you, to, to, be, to fit the life that you've created for yourself. And when you do this and you use verses to back it up, you use all these kind of moral ideas and we have just enough moral superiority or moral authority to justify our outrage. And then we call it righteous anger, but what it actually is, is it's a way to make other people the enemy. I heard Andy Stanley say this a few months ago. He actually said this to a bunch of uh, legislators, but it was in the uh, House of Representatives in, in uh, Georgia. He said, if you, have to, he is, if you have to make an enemy in order to lead, you are a terrible leader. If you have to constantly be making other people something other to get your way, right? You're, you're doing something wrong. There's a mis, misguidedness to this. We end up in this place having to defend our positions to protect ourselves because if we don't, then these connections go away. Our sense of belonging goes away. And what it does to us in this moment is you become more protected. And when you sort of have to protect yourself, you become more distant and you grow more hardened. This is the progression of what happens to the human soul, to the human psyche. Our Connections feel like they're strong because there's so much agreement and we feel this, right? If we agree with something, we feel like, oh, this is, this is what it is. We have this sort of sense of moral um, superiority. It's really interesting. There was an article I quoted a couple of weeks ago. The actual article is by a guy named Jonathan Haidt. It's called Why the Past 10 Years of American Life Have Been Uniquely Stupid. That's the article. It's a great read. But he talks and it, it talks about social media, but, but I think it has to do with the way we receive information. It has to do with the way we process information. Then most of us, we pick up our phones, we see a headline that's designed to inflame your brain. It's designed to get you to react. You either go, yes, I've known that all along, or I can't believe those people. And it's designed to do that. And your brain actually responds the same way, whether it is true or whether it is untrue. We're gonna talk more about this in a couple of weeks. Whether it is true, or whether, your brain doesn't determine whether it's true or false, it only determines I like the way that feels. In those, and that's how most of our information is consumed. So you end up thinking because you read two tweets or an Instagram post about something that you know all the complexities and nuances of it. And then you feel complete permission, not only to feel like you know it, but you can share that with other people and condemn those who don't see it the same way you do all from your phone. And this is what has happened. Like this is, this is not a surprise to anybody. But here's what's really interesting. Jonathan Haidt observes, he says, what this way of communicating is done, what this way of, of kind of gathering information is done, it, has, it tends to bring out our most moralistic and least reflective selves. It brings out the strongest part of you that feels like you are right and that you have a sense of moral authority and at the very same time, it diminishes almost any capacity you have to self-reflect or to be aware of what's actually happening. Those two things together are insanely dangerous because we end up gathering around the source of our connections. We gather around these selective moral issues, this heightened sense of the moral high ground with very little reflection. And we convince ourselves that we are this way simply because everybody agrees with the same thing. It's an affirmation culture. And everybody's just affirming what everybody else says. And you think that you're becoming. And what's happened is, well, you actually are becoming, you're becoming hardened. 
Human beings are made for connection and we have settled for acceptance. And this is, has devastating impact on how we live as a people, which is why I believe that the church, this is why I believe that our church and what we are responsible for here has got to be different. Y'all, there are so many people who live, they think because they think right things, that they're fine and that they're doing the right things, but it's never made its way into their heart. And if it doesn't make its way into your heart, it's never gonna make its way into your will. For us to be able to live, Frederick Buechner, he's an ancient writer, he says this. He said, it's not what you believe that counts, it's what you believe enough to do something about. And this is where we've gotta challenge ourselves. We've gotta let something happen in us, but this because there's a source there's a source for us. Galatians, I'm gonna read this kind of whole chunk and then we're gonna kind of tie a bow on this before we're, we're done. I'm gonna to try to anyway. Galatians 4, and this is why Paul says this with such emphasis. He just keeps, he's, he's just kind of letting it fly. We skip over, he says, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me for I became like you. And he's gonna tell you why in just a minute. You did me no wrong. When I showed up, I, it was because there was this illness that I first preached the gospel of you. And even though my illness was a trial for you, you did not treat me with contempt or with scorn. In other words, we don't really know what this was, but it was probably something was wrong with Paul that would have normally caused him to keep him at a distance. But because of their faith and because of Paul's faith, they welcomed him in. In fact, he says it like this. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Jesus Christ himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I know that at one point in time, if you could have done so, you would have torn your eyes out and given them to me. That's kind of dramatic, isn't it? Basically what he's saying is, you know, at one time you would have done anything for me. At one time you would have been over backwards for me, but now what's happened? Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? This is nothing new. Have I now become your enemy? Have I now made you the enemy because you were telling me something that I do not want to hear? And then he continues on, he says, those people are zealous to win you over. There's, make no mistake about it, there is a way and a people who are deliberately trying to use you for their own gain or to pull you away from this. But they're trying to make you zealous for no good. They, they, what they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided that the purpose is good. One more note about what's happened to us with sort of our, our capacity to have social media and to feel like that our opinions are desperately needed by the entire world. What has happened to us is we have begotten, gained an awful lot of zeal and we do not or have not developed the character to match. To be zealous, right, without the character to match just is a recipe for I think all the anxiety, the chaos, the division that we are experiencing. This is what we're talking about is we've got to become a whole people who you become is essential. The challenge is who you become will only occur. Who you are ultimately to become will only occur in the sense of belonging that I think God is calling us to. And here's what he says. He says, hey, don't just do this when, when I'm not with you, but do it, I mean, when I'm away from you, but do it when I'm with you as well. Then he says in verse 19, he kind of switches the tone. My dear children, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth. I have no idea why a male would use the illustration of a woman in childbirth, but that's what he did. He's basically saying, my gut is hurting until what? Until you agree with me? Until we're all on the same page of the issues? Oh, no, no. I'm hurting 
until Christ is formed in you. And he says, I wish I, could, I wish I didn't have to be as direct with you, but you're making it pretty difficult. Perplexed. When we see one another, what you and I need is you need someone who is hurting in their gut until your life takes on the shape of Christ. There are plenty of people who will hurt for you because you don't do what they want them to do. There are plenty of people who will hurt for you, right? Because you uh, benefit them in some way. There are plenty of people who will hurt for you because you, they tell you what you want to hear. They will all form you. They will form you in a direction that will not help you become who you've been intended to be. You need people who hurt in their gut to see Christ formed in you. I can tell you I'm very fortunate in my life. I have a host of men and women, people who are close to me. And they don't want to protect me because they go, oh, well, Mike's got to stay here because that's what's going to keep the church going. They want for my character to be formed more fully into the image of Christ. And they are willing to tell me things, hard things, in order to make that happen. That we belong to one another. We live in the sense of community. And what we believe is in that sense of community, we are actually becoming this because we look and we see whatever this, the foundation of our connection has got to be strong enough to withstand the, the, the pressure of our desires to be and to belong. This is why the gospel matters, to be reconciled to him. As we said earlier, we cannot make relationships flourish. We just can't do that. But we can do is create a culture. We can be a place where people feel a little bit more inclined or a little bit more willing to risk this kinds of activity. Paul is feisty in this letter because he's saying we've got to have people around us who see and who want for the formation of Christ, for our spiritual formation to take place, to happen, to occur. And we need to learn, you and I need to learn to live within and to develop these trusted formative connections where we can live safely within the care of another. My life is entrusted to some very key people around me. They care for me deeply. They care for what I do, but more importantly, they care for who I am. They care for the kind of husband I am. They care for the kind of father I am. Now they kind of care for the kind of grandfather I am, which is super awesome. They, they care for my character. They want for me to be formed. They don't just want me to preach well. They don't want me to lead well. They want for me to become the kind of person that I want to become. The only way we become this is it has to begin with you and it has to begin with me. To be, to trust and to be trusted. Both of those things have to occur. And this is foreign language in our culture. You cannot expect it from anywhere else. You should not expect it from anywhere else. Everywhere else, you're gonna be treated with distrust. I ordered online at a local fast food restaurant uh, a couple weeks ago, paid for it with my phone. Actually, it was done from the house, so it didn't show up in, the, um, in my location when I got there, so it didn't register me. So when I got there, I said, hey, I paid for this order, and I paid for it online. She said, what's your name? And I gave her the name. She said, I don't have a name. What's your order number? I gave her the order number. And then she began to accuse me of trying to steal food 
from this restaurant. And I was like, just so you know, I'd never do that to you. Like, I'm, you know, because, but it's just everywhere you go, it's fundamental distrust. Like, everywhere you go. So what if we were different? Like, what if we were different? You need to learn, we need to learn, but each of us, it's on each of us to learn how to develop these trusted, formative connections and to commit and to step in and to be willing to take a risk because belonging, if, I, if I'm right, belonging is the only way you're gonna become who you're intended to be. And here's the thing. You don't have to trust everyone forever. That's not what I'm asking you to do. You don't have to go, I'm gonna walk in here, I'm gonna trust everybody. That would be a dumb idea. But what I am saying is you cannot refuse to trust anyone ever again. You can't do that. There is some middle ground. We have to learn how to develop this. We need other people in our lives. You need a person in your life who longs to see Christ formed in you. You need to learn how to see Christ's formation in other people and how to call it out, and how to long for it, how to hurt for it. So I ask you again, what would it be like for you to be yourself as God had fashioned you and to be fully accepted? What would it be like? What would it be like even with your disordered parts that you were still embraced in a place that submitted themselves to the rule of God's love and the pursuit of his image being born in every single person and his redemptive purposes being fulfilled in every single moment? I imagine it'd be quite freeing because some of you have held secrets and you have held on to things and protected them from everyone at all costs and you know how it's hardened you. What would it be like if you trusted another person to care for you in that? I think also it provides some space for us to find the kind of healing that we need and I think that the kind of healing that is only found in what Christ is doing. Next Sunday night, October the 2nd, all of our campuses, Newburn, Leland, Wilmington, will all be gathered in this room for a night of worship. We're coming together to worship, certainly, to share communion together, but also to connect. It's a very easy, accessible way for you to enter in, not just to hear a cool worship band and some great music, although it will be that, but to actually connect with one another, to offer yourselves in that place. No one's gonna pressure you to do anything, but you can come and experience and show up and just let God do something in you. That We create these spaces where we can begin to say, what if I showed up, would I be accepted? What if I showed up, would I be cared for? Am I safe enough? Is it safe enough for me to risk trusting these moments? I'm gonna send it back to Danny and Don and Leland and Newburn for your next steps over there. Thank you guys for being with us this morning. For those of you in the room here, um, we recognize that there is a lot going on in a lot of people's lives. We just finished a series um, in the college ministry talking about mental health. We just did some stuff with our parents talking about we recognize this is a big deal. Um, our job our, our, our pursuit of the last five, six, seven years has just been to get per, very, very personal, very personal. And so part of what we are doing, if you are here, one is 
we're happy to talk with you down front on any time. If you would trust us enough to avail yourself, we want to be really sensitive and careful, recognizing that we steward that trust. But also what we're doing is making some places more accessible and more personal. We're doing this thing, and it's basically Meet Me on Monday. It starts October the 3rd. If you struggle with anything, if you've got something that you've been hiding or holding on to, I know there's addiction issues or people who have the classic sort of addictions. There are a lot of people who your wife said something to you, your husband said something to you, your kid said something to you, your parents said something to you. You're like, oh, that's not me. Would you trust someone enough to actually avail yourself and say, hey, could you help me talk about this? Because something is happening that other people are noticing. We would just say, hey, meet me on Monday. You can show up and we'll connect you with somebody. We'll help you from right where we are. And what we're gonna help you do is to just learn to trust again. You know, one of the worst things that happens to us when trust is breached, we actually stop trusting ourselves and we stop trusting God's work in our lives. You know, there is nothing more maddening and life-stealing than that. So what we wanna do is we wanna be able to help one another learn how to trust again. That we can become the place where we can help one another to trust more fully and to be a place where we can be safe enough for you to be who you are right now, to come just like you are, but to recognize And when you step into this place, our heart for you is for you to become the way God has called you to be, the way you actually long to be. We want to connect in those ways as we learn to trust one another and ultimately that our source, right, becomes that we long for Christ to be formed in one another. We begin to experience the kind of life that he's given us. Father, I ask that you would help us to become that kind of place. We've lifted up some big statements. The church is the hope of the world. There's a healing and belonging. And Father, we are dependent upon you for those things. This isn't about our cleverness, our understanding. It's about our willingness to let you work in our lives and to see that in one another. God, would you help us to trust one another enough to be who we are, and to become who you've created us to be. Father, we ask all of this in the name of your son, Jesus, who is our king. Amen.